Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. In this show, I'll be taking you back to the year 1860. But what else happened that year? Well, on January the 2nd, the discovery of a hypothetical planet Vulcan is announced at a meeting of the French Academy of Sciences in Paris, France. On February the 22nd, shoemaking workers of Lynn, Massachusetts, strike successfully for higher wages. The strike spreads throughout New England and eventually involves 20,000 workers. Then, on March the 6th, while campaigning for the presidency, Abraham Lincoln makes a speech defending the right to strike. Later on, on May the 18th, Lincoln is selected as a US presidential candidate for the Republican Party in Chicago, Illinois. And then, to finish off a life-changing and historical year for him, on November the 6th, US presidential elections have Lincoln beating John C. Breckinridge, Stephen A. Douglas and John Bell to be elected as the 16th President of the United States and the first Republican to hold that office. And whilst all that was going on in America, on June the 30th, a historic debate about evolution is held at the Oxford University Museum, seven months after the publication of Charles Darwin's On the Origin of the Species. Several prominent British scientists and philosophers participated including Thomas Henry Huxley, Bishop Samuel Wilberforce, Benjamin Brodie, Joseph Dalton Hooker and Robert Fitzroy. Now this bit really did make me chuckle. The debate is best remembered today for a heated exchange in which Wilberforce supposedly asked Huxley whether it was through his grandfather or his grandmother that he claimed his descent from a monkey. Huxley is said to have replied that he would not be ashamed to have a monkey for his ancestor, but he would be ashamed to be connected with a man who used his great gifts to obscure the truth. On July the 9th, the Nightingale Training School and Home for Nurses, which was the first nursing school based on the ideas of Florence Nightingale, is opened at St Thomas's Hospital in London. And on December the 1st, Charles Dickens publishes the first instalment of Great Expectations in his magazine, All Year Round. But our event today occurred at the beginning of the year, in January on the 4th, at Cherry Tree House in Lower Mind, in the parish of St Bravels in Gloucestershire. Word of the Week. 
And this week, I'm offering you a farm-related word of... Mangelwurzel, or mangold wurzel, also known as mangold, mangle beet, field beet, fodder beet, and root of scarcity. It's a cultivated root vegetable from the same species that contains the beetroot and sugar beet varieties. The large white, yellow or orange-yellow swollen roots were developed in the 18th century as a fodder crop for feeding livestock. The mangelwurzel also has a history in England of being used for sport, such as mangold hurling. It was also used to brew a potent alcoholic beverage. The 1830 Scottish cookbook, The Practice of Cookery, includes a recipe for a beer made with mangelwurzel. And the 19th century Americans used to call mangle beads mango. Let's start today's story with Joseph Webb, who was aged about 21 and was a labourer working for Mr William Kerr, a timber merchant, cider dealer and farmer from Cherry Tree House in Lower Mind in the parish of St Bravels in Gloucestershire. Joseph was quite a thick-set man, about 5 foot 10 with dark hair and eyes, who looked rather indifferent to what happened on the day that changed his life. At around 6am on Wednesday the 4th of January, 1860, Joseph went to work as usual. About 9am, George Hughes, another labourer, arrived, saying that he was ready to work. They all had breakfast, as usual. Joseph had a pint of cider for his and had continued drinking during the day. Some saying that he may have had four pints of cider in total. George Hughes, the other labourer, went out about 3pm to check on a calf in the outhouse about 300 yards from the house. Mr Keir, the employer, went with him, leaving Joseph in the kitchen with Richard, his son, and John Hughes, who had popped in to buy half a penny worth of tobacco. What happened next is retold by Richard Keir, the 13-year-old son of the farmer. I was sitting on the settle in the kitchen, and the prisoner snatched from me some bread and meat which I was eating. He said if he was so greedy as that, he might have it. He sat down next to me and began teasing me, pulling my hair, pinching me and bumping my head against the wall. I called out father and my sister, Eliza, came out of the other room. She told him if he did not leave me alone, she would strike him with the stick she had in her hand. In court, Richard was very clear when he said that Joseph did not appear to be intoxicated in the slightest during the whole event. He took me around the waist and dashed my head against the settle again, and she struck him with the hazel stick on the head. He kept hold of me with one hand and took the stick from her. My grandfather then came into the kitchen and helped my sister to get the prisoner away from me. I was crying. He struck my sister down on the settle after that with his fist. Esther came out of the parlour and he immediately struck her down over the handle of the settle and dislocated her shoulder. I told Esther to go after my father, and the prisoner struck me then. John Hughes, the deceased, was sitting on a chair by the fire, and the prisoner came round by him and struck him down. Continued 13-year-old Richard Keir. After being struck down by Joe, John Hughes got up and exclaimed to his attacker, What have I done to thee, Joe? Stop, Joe. Please stop. To which Joe replied, Did I strike anybody? 
Richard continues telling the tale. I fetched a spade and said, if he struck my grandfather again, I would strike him with the spade. He did strike him again, and he was sitting on the settle, and I struck the prisoner on the head with the spade. I ran out, prisoner following. I dropped the spade outside the house, and my grandfather picked it up. He was going to throw it away, but the prisoner wrenched it from his hand and knocked him down with his fist. John Hughes came out with his hat on and was going away when the prisoner ran after him and struck him on the head with the spade. Prisoner next struck my grandfather, down with the spade and kicked him. Grandfather's left arm was broken and my sister, Eliza, said prisoner was going to kill grandfather and prisoner struck Eliza down with his fist. She got up and ran away and he followed her nine or ten yards and turned back and struck Hughes with the spade on the head as he was lying on the ground. There was blood on Hughes' head. He was quiet and I thought him insensible. Grandfather had got up and was standing by the door and the prisoner again knocked him down with the spade in the doorway. I then ran up to the prisoner and kicked him. He tried to hit me with the spade, but I avoided the blow. He then commenced on the deceased for the fourth time. I got grandfather into the house and locked the door. Prisoner came and struck the door with the spade. I went out by another door into the orchard, which was on higher ground than the house. As Richard was escaping through the back door with his granddad, his aunt Mary Ann Williams arrived at the front with her friends, Sarah Richards and Jane Howell. Mary Ann exclaimed, Oh Lord, you've killed father! To which Joseph replied, I killed your father, I'll kill you! and ran after them. Jane Howell was carrying a child in her arms and could not run. She turned to Joseph and said, You will not strike me, will you, Joe? No, Mrs Howell, I'll not strike you. That's when brave young Richard saw his father, William Kerr, coming towards where John Hughes was lying. William exclaimed, He's a dead man. And Joseph replied, Have I killed anyone? Have I hit any? Before throwing a stone at William and then striking Jane Howell on the head so hard that the handle broke. She was still clutching her child. (laughs) Word on the street. Join me as we take a stroll down Boyce Drive. This was the name of the vicar who came to the parish when the church was rebuilt in St. Werburgh's, having formerly stood in the city centre in 1878. He had been the city vicar before the church was moved, and his congregation was so devoted to him that they travelled to St. Werburgh's every Sunday to hear him preach. It is said that Mina Road was filled with horse-drawn carriages bringing them to his new location before every service. Richard also saw his father being struck by a stone and worried that his father was now vulnerable to a beating from Joseph. He too started throwing stones, which managed to successfully knock Joseph to the ground before he then ran off for the police. Meanwhile, his father William was imploring Joseph to stop what he was doing and call a doctor for all the wounded. Joseph just headed towards the barn where he came across... Mrs. Anne Keir, the mother, and smashed her head with the metal part of the broken spade, inflicting a gash of about 2.5 inches in length. She instantly fell to the ground. 
Half an hour after striking Mrs. Keir, Joseph left and walked up the road, followed by William, where he came across a PC lord. Joseph swore that he would not go into custody, but between them, William and the officer managed to handcuff him. Several other witnesses contributed this evidence and agreed that Joseph was perfectly sober at the time of the attack. PC Tanner had the dubious honour of inspecting the prisoner to see what state he was in. Joseph declared, You're not going to keep me here, are you, Tanner? I've done nothing to be here. It's the others who ought to be here and not I. Later, Tanner told him that John Hughes was not likely to live. Joseph said that he'd done it in self-defence and would do the same again under similar circumstances. Mr Hatton and Mr Reed, surgeons, gave evidence on the state of the deceased John Hughes, who was aged 76. They said that the victim's skull was fractured in three places, the bone being driven into the brain, which was the immediate cause of death. Joseph the aggressor had sustained injuries to each side of his head. Strangely, Joseph believed that he would be acquitted of all charges and that he was perfectly in his right to act the way he had. The full list of charges, as written on the prison records, are... Willful murder of one John Hughes, and also cutting and wounding one Richard Keir, Anne Keir, and Jane Howell with intent to murder. Also wounding Esther Keir and Eliza Ann Keir with intent to do grievous bodily harm at St. Prevail's on the 4th of January, 1860. Joseph declared in a statement read out in court that he had been drunk at the time and other people had been attacking him with sticks and stones, so he'd used the spade to defend himself, because if they had managed to knock him down, they would have killed him as he was too drunk to get away. Needless to say, Joseph was found guilty of manslaughter and the judge sentenced him to penal servitude for life. Today's news. Boffins at Bradley Stoke have discovered where rainbows go when they're bad. Apparently it's prism. It's a light sentence. Hey, hey! Are you that weird one in your friends group that loves to watch true crime documentaries? Have you ever wanted to learn more about the lesser known crimes? And are you fascinated with ghost stories? I'm Hannah, the creator, editor, and host of Murder Bucket, a podcast that talks about, get this, murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Join me every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts, to get the inside scoop on some of the most interesting topics in the true crime world. I am also very active on social media. You can find me on Instagram at MurdBucket, Facebook at BucketMurd, and Twitter at TheMurderBucket. Back in the day facts. Let's start off with the 28th of May, 1892, 
when the Sierra Club was formed by John Muir and others in San Francisco for the conservation of nature. On the 29th of May, 1854, Paddington Station, London's terminus for the Great Western Railway, opens with a design by Isambard Kingdom Brunel, he of the Bristol Suspension Bridge, as well as the SS Great Britain which is permanently docked in Bristol. Also on the 29th of May, but in 1886, American chemist John Pemberton begins to advertise Coca-Cola. On the 31st of May, 1669, citing poor eyesight, English civil servant Samuel Pepys records the last event in his famous diary. Also on the 31st of May, but in 1969, Stevie Wonder releases the single My Sharia Moore, which goes on to become a soul classic. On the 1st of June, 1899, English cricket icon W.G. Grace, who was born in Bristol, starts the 22nd and final test against Australia at Nottingham. William Gilbert Grace is regarded as one of the greatest ever players of cricket. Grace was instrumental in developing the game. He was a dominant cricket figure in his lifetime and left a lasting technical legacy. And lastly, on the 2nd of June 1972, the Bristol-built Concord 002 left England for a sales demonstration tour of 12 countries in the Middle East and Australia. And so, my friends, I fear that is the end of today's show. But don't worry, you can find me at the same place, same time next week. And as you can imagine, this show wouldn't be the same without the real stars. Those are the people who put the voices to the stories and bring them to life. And today's show featured the talents of Sophie Townsend, Joe Wilson, Debbie Townsend, Kate Kendall and Molly Jeffries from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as my friend Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio. Thank you, one and all. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke Radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk By the way, the tune in the background? That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com So thank you so much for listening, and until next time guys, take care, and look after each other. <laughs>